Welcome to The Fine Line. I'm Liz Willette Daniels. And I'm Emily Gold. We started this podcast to learn how the people we admire balance hedonism and health. We wanted to explore people's individual journeys to pursue their love of eating and drinking, as well as their health and wellness, and we ask how they learn and grow in this process. We are also committing to doing our best to represent many different backgrounds and perspectives, not just our own. So if you have feedback or ideas, please email us. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please do rate and review. Enjoy the show. Welcome. Today we're sitting down with Darcy PQ. Darcy is a mom, professional ultra runner, and psychotherapist who lives and trains in Boulder, Colorado. She's been running for over 20 years and racing ultras, which is any race over marathon distance, most of that time. Of the over 100 races she has won, Darcy usually finishes in the top three. Darcy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for it's having great me. to see you. Um, so it seems to me that the people I know that race those kind of distances always kind of have a bit of an edge or like I, I sort of feel like there's something they're running from all the time. <laughs> and that's not you to me at all. I know you. You're a friend of mine. And you're so mellow and even keeled. So what was, I mean, was this kind of long distance running sort of a response to something that happened in your life? Or was it just something you started doing and realized, oh, I can kind of just keep running forever? <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, yeah, how I got into the ultra running scene. You know, I, I've i always been, um, I've always had a love for the outdoors. Hmm. Um, my, I didn't grow up camping or backpacking or anything like that. Um, but when I came out to Colorado for school, I went to Colorado State University in Fort Collins, and um, I would say it sort of began there and just found myself really loving my time in the mountains. Mm. Um, I worked for Outward Bound for several years and um, then realized, you know, without carrying a huge, gigantic backpack on my shoulders, that if I let go of all that weight that I could travel long distances in the mountains. And, um, you know, there's there's probably a longer story to getting into it than that, just that. But uh, my first ever trail race was the Breckenridge Crest Marathon, which Fun. still to this day is one of the most beautiful courses out there. And I think that was in early 2000. Okay. And... Um, just fell in love with it from yeah, there. Yeah. And that was a marathon distance on trails, but it feels more like an ultra. I bet. Because you're running up and over mountains and and after that race I was I was pretty much hooked. Yeah, like twenty six mountain miles is very different than twenty six road miles. Very different. Yeah. yeah. At altitude and exactly. Rocky train. And, yeah. yeah. But it was a different experience than a road race and you know, you were up high on the divide and I remember there was a guy sitting in the bushes playing a banjo nice. and it was echoing throughout the mountains. Aww. And I just re like realized in that moment, oh my gosh, this is, this is it. This is it. I yeah. love this. Um, and I, and I was also doing really well Yeah, uh, in my first, hurt. my first race. So oh, yeah, that was encouraging, I guess. It's certainly motivating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Darcy, what is it about running that made you choose that instead of biking or any number of the outdoor activities we have available in Colorado? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I definitely started with a big variety of sports when I was here. You know, I was 
I came here because I love to ski. So I was a skier probably first and foremost. And still that's one of my major passions. Um, and and I actually got into multi-sport racing initially. So I was doing like various kind of adventure. When adventure racing was a mm. thing, I started, I got involved with those. I did an eco challenge in New Zealand. Um, you know, when Mark Burnett sort of first brought out the reality TV, I was um, I was doing the race in New Zealand when that all kind of started, and that was really fun. So my 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 be beginnings in this sort of ultra racing world were multi sport. That's very cool. Yeah, and then <laughs> it evolved into solely just doing ultra running or ultra trail running. <laughs> Is there a mental component of it for you? I mean, is it sort of, you know, obviously it keeps you in shape, it gives you energy, things like that. But is there sort of a, I mean, I know for me, if I don't exercise in the morning, I'm not very happy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so does that Absolutely. Do you know, yeah. I mean, I, I knew that probably very early on that it was definitely a way to kind of clear my head. Yeah. Um, if I was struggling with, with things, definitely in college, there was really nothing that I couldn't figure out on a good trail run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's a mental component, and definitely now, you know, as I've I've gotten older and I have my own my daughter, um, you know, it helps me to be a more patient mom. It helps me to be, I think, a better friend. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of things. More yeah. focused at work. And so, what is your training regimen? I mean, are you really strict and rigid about it? Is it kind of organic? Mine has always been very organic. Yeah. Um, I never, I, I wanted to always stay in love with the sport. Mm -hmm. And I think if I got too rigid or I had a too strict of a training plan that that I wouldn't, I wouldn't love it anymore. Yeah. So I've, I would say I'm, I'm a lot more organic than maybe, maybe most people in the sport. Which means you must be quite a natural because if you can just kind of, you know, <laughs> Be, I feel that, Maybe. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get away with being organic, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, what else do you include in your training? Are there other types of sports or activities? And have you always done them? Um, and how have they changed the way that you run and your fitness in general? Um, yeah, I definitely incorporate other sports. Like I said, I, I love skiing in the wintertime. Um, and, and I try to continue that. And we've the sport of ski mountaineering has kind of become a thing. And so, which they call it skimo. So you're using really lightweight skis with skins on the bottom to skin up a mountain and then ski down. Um, so that's a really nice cross trainer for me in the wintertime. And I would say yoga has always been a big part of my life. And, you know, that's kind of where I think some of the mindfulness and meditation and, and all of those things kind of have seeped in. Um, and definitely biking as well. Not very, I wouldn't say it's a, I'm very consistent with my biking, um, but I do like it because I think it's, you know, after a really hard training day or something like that when I'm running, it's a nice way to spin out my legs. <laughs> so yeah. you think you think biking's easier than running? <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. It's, it's totally different. And I think it's totally different aerobically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, you just embody balance. You know, you're sort of the first one to order a cocktail at dinner <laughs> and then encourage us all to go out and boogie and see music. And then you're up at five skinning up the mountain before we ski, ski all day. So was there ever a time where you weren't as in, ba in balance with your life? 
Um, yeah, you know, I don't always feel balanced even now. <laughs> that's for sure. I think yes, I I was. I went through a period in my life sort of later in college. I think I, you know, early on, I did a lot of partying like a lot of people in college and then sort of went the opposite direction and became more rigid and strict with myself towards the end, like my senior year in college and realized that that wasn't necessarily sustainable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of, I, I guess I found my way into balancing more in my life, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. that that learning about moderation is, you know, what's the the saying is, you know, everything in moderation, even moderation. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. that's sort of been my, I guess, motto for a while now. Yeah. Great. Um, we'd like to move on to a fun COVID-19 related topic. <laughs> um, how has your anxiety been impacted? You know, Liz and I talk a lot about how hard this whole year has been, um, and you as someone who runs and does yoga and does meditation, um, has it been a severe impact for you as well? Definitely. Yeah, I've noticed, um, yeah, I mean, Liz, you and I talked about that too, just how how much this has impacted my own anxiety, and I know the collective's anxiety, um, We've never been through anything like this, and I think the the uncertainty that's out there, the the not knowing what's going to happen, definitely increases and has increased my own anxiety. So, it's it's um, it's it's been sort of a wake up call, in some respects, to really um, kind of better my meditation practice, my mindfulness practice, all of those things, and incorporate that more into my life, especially now. And doing that is helping with the anxiety. And, you know, I just, it seems like such a big shift to have to focus so much more on that piece. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think it's really important right now, especially for me. And, and, and it's sort of, it's a combination of the two for me right now, even as, you know, running also helps to kind of deal with the anxiety piece and also meditation. Um, and I don't think necessarily just running itself can, um, get rid of the anxiety, so to speak. Can you tell us more about your meditation practice? What it, I mean, sort of the philosophy behind it. Are you? Is it something you do on your own? You do it with people, or? Yeah. Um, there's so many different forms of meditation yeah. and mindfulness. Um, I guess I I started in Boulder here, more under the Shambhala tradition, mm. and then kind of through the years found my own counselor teacher if you will and and she was leading retreats and groups and things like that and so now mostly i just practice with her and with that group and it's really just i would say it's more a practice of just non-doing and (laughs) just being and sitting and really working towards being in the present moment um it's not i'm not necessarily following one strict um you know, it's not like Zen Buddhism or anything like that. It's just sitting, following the breath, you know, not following story, yeah. constantly coming back to the breath. Um, so it's a just a silent, silent practice. Observing the thoughts and, mm-hmm. you know. Not getting, not, you know, when you go down the rabbit hole, coming back to the breath. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just being the witness of whatever's showing up in your mind. 
it's kind of it's fascinating. We talked about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Is is just sort of the you know, the the roommate in your head and that it's not you. You are your consciousness, not your thoughts, but it's kind of revelatory to realize that because suddenly you don't have to feel so bad about what that annoying roommate is saying and just kind of set it aside. But it's a right. it's a big concept sometimes, I think, to try to wrap your head around. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that you are just the awareness. You're just the witness that's witnessing what's going on in the mind that's yeah. not you you are not your thoughts yeah constantly reminding yourself that you are not those thoughts yeah, yeah. it does help not like go down the rabbit hole but you have to remind yourself a yeah. lot I <laughs> a think, lot it's know? a practice and it's yeah it's all it's a journey it's an evolution yeah. and i think it's a for me it will be a lifelong practice yeah. for sure yeah for sure um, so you meditate and you run, which are both kind of solo activities in a sense. What, I mean, that sort of in a way puts a lot of pressure on you to always make yourself okay, which is a good thing. We need that. But are there other things you rely on, friends, family, um, for for support? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I live in a town where, you know, there's a lot of like-minded people yeah. and um, there's wonderful communities here, both in the running community. So, you know, there's always someone to run with if you want to basically. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I have just wonderful girlfriends and, you know, I definitely rely on those those friends in my life all the mm-hmm. time um, and family for sure, without a doubt. But yeah, I, and I, I think as I get older, I think community means even more now than it ever has. And especially what we're going through now, you realize, you know, not to take that for granted yeah. and that, you know, it's really important. And and even in running, it used to be more of a solo sport, but I find even when I'm racing now that I sort of want, I would, I want to be running with other people, which yeah. wasn't always the case for me. I was always sort of in this like focused you know, kind of race mindset. And it's it's shifted a little bit for me over the years. Yeah, that's neat. That sounds really nice. I think we know lots of people who run in groups and it sounds like such a communal great activity and motivational and supportive. Absolutely, yeah. I love yeah. that. It almost makes me want to run. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think running, you know, ultra running specifically, when you're running those distances, you are stripped of all of the false pretenses. And it's one of the draws for me is that, you know, you really see this authentic side to people where Hmm. they're just really their true selves and in all their grittiness and, you know, maybe ugliness. And that's, I mean, that's probably one of the the best parts of the sport is you really Hmm. get to know people on a totally different level and you bond with them in a totally different way. Like going through something challenging together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you see that in their eyes, like, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. And, and now we're, we're all also experiencing that going through this pandemic right together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, it goes back to the mindfulness and it's like once you realize that we're all in this together, truly, and I kind of that saying has become a little cliche during this period. But, you know, I think once you realize you're not alone in feeling anxious about things, like everybody feels anxious about things and you can kind of start realizing like, oh, I'm not crazy. We're all going through this, you know, and that just helps so much. It's kind of more of that universal 
support. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The howling at night, right? That's been one of those things that reminds you of the collective whole that we're all together. And in Boulder, we, everyone howls at eight o'clock at night. So (laughs) yeah, we don't have pots and pans to bang out the window. We we do our own outdoorsy thing. (laughs) Um, So I want to ask you about injuries. Um, You know, I think as an ultra runner, injuries are inevitable. And from my experience, being injured and not being able to do something that you love and that you rely on for your sanity and your health is incredibly painful. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what injuries you've had and how you've coped with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, injuries that I've had over the years, thankfully, have not been debilitating. So I know I'm very lucky in that sense. And I've had a really long knock on wood, mostly healthy career. Um, but I have had, you know, when I'm pushing myself, I've, I've, I've had summers where I did 400 milers in a row and, you know, got Achilles tendonitis and plantar fasciitis and things like that, that I thought, you know, I think when you're in it, you think, oh my gosh, this is never going to go away. Um, but again, fortunately, we live in a town that is full of <laughs> body workers and, amazing PTs and therapists. So typically, you know, I will go if if something's going on or if I have pain or an injury like that, I will, you know, seek out my, you know, trusted PTs and friends and therapists to get body work. Um, and then I, I really try to focus on the things that I can do, like biking <laughs> and the sports that maybe are less impactful and yoga and things like that. So I think that's probably the best for me, at least, is to just focus on what I can do, not the things that I can't do. That's a very positive outlook. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure, it's not always that pretty, right? (laughs) It can get ugly, but... But there are so many options, and it's, yeah, it's very lucky that you haven't had anything truly debilitating. Yeah. wonderful. Absolutely. And that you can still do yoga and cycling most of the time. Exactly. So in terms of diet, because that's always the other half of the equation, I know you're a longtime vegetarian. Do you mind telling us what led you to giving up meat and um, what what exactly you eat and don't eat and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I initially started to go down that path of being a vegetarian when I was in college and I was studying natural resources mm-hmm. and kind of seeing the impact of that um, you know meat production had on the environment and And then I also had an Outward Bound instructor who was vegan, and he was this big burly mountain man, Mm -hmm. and he was a vegan. And I thought, like, what? Yeah. Like, you don't eat meat? This is crazy. Um, You know, I grew up in the Midwest, so it was like I grew up eating hamburgers and, you know, meat everywhere, basically. Um, So I didn't, I didn't know, I, I didn't know much about it. But, you know, learned about it and and kind of became more aware. And I think for me, the, the initial start was more related to ethical reasons mm-hmm. for not eating meat. And, and you know, you fast forward 20 plus years later, I'm still vegetarian and I don't really miss it at yeah. all. Um, so I would call myself, though, now I would call myself a pescatarian. So I do eat fish. I do eat dairy and eggs. Um which I kind of reintroduced over the years, feeling like I needed more. 
Um, and I just, I try to focus on sort of the basics of eating a lot of healthy fruits and vegetables, healthy grains, all of those kinds of things. So I just really try, again, going back to balance, I try to have a balanced diet, but then I also, you know, I'm, I like junk food. I like sweets. So I do those things too. Yeah. You and I both have a sweet tooth. Yeah. I think. Oh, big time. Yeah. Sugar is like my Achilles heel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the other thing I learned back when I was a veg was that you can get so much protein from vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people realize that necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, more Absolutely. than, yeah, more than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, you know, I have a smoothie here and mm-hmm. I always put, you know, my protein powder in the yeah. smoothie to make sure that I'm getting it in some way. But and nuts are such a great Absolutely. source. And yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it sounds like you already have a little leeway with yourself uh, in terms of eating some sweets and eating some junk food, but mostly trying to keep it healthy and pescatarian. Is that the case when you travel? I know aside from this year, you generally travel quite a bit for racing. Um, and are you able to maintain that diet or do you kind of just let it go while you're traveling? Mm-hmm. I think mostly I'm able to maintain that diet. You know, I, I really try to be easy on myself because I think when you're when you are traveling, especially when you're traveling internationally, it's nice to be more flexible with yourself and to allow yourself to enjoy the local foods. And I mean, I wouldn't go and eat meat because that's just not that's just not part of <laughs> yeah. my my thing anymore. But um, but I I think it's just important to be flexible with yourself and to really when you're traveling to enjoy yourself. And and I try to do that when I'm traveling. I'm not No, I'm not very rigid with myself in that way. Yeah. That's good. We'd like to take a quick break to thank the sponsor of this episode, The Boulder Wine Merchant. One of the most fun and interesting ways that I've been able to enjoy new wines recently is through The Boulder Wine Merchant's Psalms Locker Curated Cases. Every month I get a new selection of hand-picked wines in my price range, and dinners have never been better. And with curbside pickup available, it couldn't be easier. Stop by or call the store and mention the code FINELINE15 for a discount. That's fine line 15 for 15% off bottles of wine and 20% off cases. So you now work as a psychotherapist with a lot of athletes. And from what I understand, you work with a lot of mindfulness with them, mm-hmm. getting them kind of mentally trained. Because obviously in a race that's that, that's that intense, the physical training is one thing, but you have to mentally be able to get yourself through those really deep, dark moments, which I imagine can happen in a race that long. So how do you, how has your mindfulness practice helped inform how you treat them and vice versa? Mm -hmm. I always say that it's just, just as important to train your physical body as it is to train your mental state or your mental, your mental health. So I really do encourage having some type of a stillness practice, mindfulness, meditation practice, I, it can be so beneficial for ultra running because inevitably at some point over that long, over the long distances, the mind creeps in yeah. and wants to come up with a million reasons why this is terrible. I want to stop. What am I doing? So it's important to know, to have those skills to know how to quiet the mind and realize that those thoughts aren't helping. <laughs> right. And um, and that they, they are just thoughts. 
Um, and typically, what what I've always noticed in almost every race I've ever done is that you're always going to have a low point. And so knowing that, okay, I know this point is going to pass, you know, keep reminding yourself like this too shall pass, this yeah. will pass. And so I, uh, yeah, going back to just, I think it's so important to train your mind to not follow story, to not follow thoughts all the time is really important in ultra running. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. Well, and I think it must be great to be treated by a psychotherapist who does the same thing. I mean, you're not telling them to do something that you're not out doing yourself. So right. Yeah. Practicing that, what I what I preach. Yeah. I, I believe in that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. I think it was in the book Born to Run where they called it the monster. Like, there's mm -hmm. always a point where the monster comes in to a long run like that. Totally. You know, and it's probably your ego trying to protect you in a way, mm -hmm. you know, like, no, this is bad for you. You should quit. It's okay. You know, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and of course there's a fine line that we have sure. to walk. And, you know, if something really serious is going on or there is an injury that you shouldn't be running through, I think you, you know, we all know our bodies the best and, you know, knowing when it really is time to stop. Right. But knowing when you can push through things. Yeah. And it's just resistance. It's not injury, exactly. for example. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't but imagine. That part but. is fascinating. The mind part is so fascinating I in, in ultra running. Yeah. It's Do you work with athletes in other sports as well? On that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot around because anxiety is a big part of performance um, in all sports. And, you know, typically there's that sort of pre-race jitters, pre-race anxiety that, you know, all, I think all athletes on some level experience. And so, yeah, I work, you know, lots of different relaxation techniques and things like that. I work with athletes on those things a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish that uh, that had been the case when I was playing sports. <laughs> I know. I need a coach like that. <laughs> right. Um, so you've, you know, been doing this for 20 years and built this very impressive career and you work so hard and you are so thoughtful about um, your capability and your growth. Do you have goals either personally or professionally for the future? Hmm. <laughs> That's a big question. Put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, gosh. I mean, you know, it's first and foremost, my the most important job for me is being a mom. Mm. So, you know, raising my daughter is definitely the most important thing in my life. And with running, um, you know, I'm 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 it's evolving still, I feel like. And I'm I've kind of still been trying to push the limits a little bit and and going into even longer distances. How long is a longer distance? <laughs> 200 or more miles. Wow. So <laughs> that's sort of, you know, those thoughts creep in and, you know, maybe what what's next? I'm always sort of seeking out the next adventure or the next trail, those kinds of things, but um but yeah, you know, I I I definitely want to grow my my practice in town and um, try and help individuals the best way that I can. And where can we find you with your practice? Do you have a, a website or? Yeah, it's just my name, my full name, darcypicu.net. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. We'll link that on the, in the show notes so people Thanks. can find you easily. Um, quick question, just going back to the 200 miler thing, because I'm just 
it's boggling my mind right now. So do you just not sleep? Like, how does that, do you run through the night? How does that work? Yeah, how long does that take? Yeah, <laughs> it varies. I've only done, well, I've done two now. I did the John Muir Trail in okay. the Sierra Nevada, and that was 222 miles total. Wow. And I had dear friends who met me along the trail, maybe five different stops, and I would take naps when I saw them I, for about an hour. So yes, I did sleep and you kind when of sleep, I saw them. Like you're able to kind of... Initially, yes. Yeah. Um, as I went on, the sleep was was not great because I think my, my system was just kind of on overdrive. And so it was really hard to get my heart rate down probably is what mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, but then I would also take what I call dirt naps. So I would just literally, when I got really tired, I would typically like that 3 a.m., in the morning time, I would just, I had an emergency blanket with me and I would just lay down on the side of the tree. I wouldn't go too far off. I would just go right there and just cover myself up with my emergency blanket and take a 15 minute nap. I would set my alarm so that I would still wake up because there probably was a chance I wouldn't wake <laughs> up. But um, yeah, and then I did a race in, in Italy called the Tour de Géants, which is in the Aosta Valley in Italy. And that was 220 miles. And that I slept a lot more because I had a lot more issues going on for that experience or that run. But yes, and I, I slept in that race as well. You, what were your issues, if you don't mind me asking? Just like some, was there a digestive thing? Uh, yeah, I'm trying I had to just remember. some stomach issues that yeah. were coming up that, that hadn't happened to me before. Yeah. So our bodies are always changing and well, always yeah. <laughs> showing and the older us. we get, the harder it is to travel internationally, I think, without some sort of weird issue. little thing. Yeah, happening. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, um, Do you have to build in recovery time after a race like that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It's not like then you sleep eight hours and you're fine? No. Okay. <laughs> it's like then you sleep 12 to 13 hours and then you're still tired and then you eat all day for the next like three days and then you sleep more. So, yes. Well, and I know you've said that you are naturally a, quite a good sleeper which mm -hmm. is something Liz and I so are both jealous. so jealous yeah, of, exactly. <laughs> um, as we talk about often. Um, do you uh, have practices that you do to help that? Or, I mean, even after a long race like that, do you, is it easy for you to just get the hours that you need? It That's usually I mean. is, yeah. I know. I don't. I, I feel for people who have trouble sleeping <laughs> because... It's just not, again, knock on wood, but it's not something I've ever had any problems with. So um, actually now I feel like I want even more sleep, like eight to 10 hours a night now. Really? And yeah, oh. and I don't. I don't know why that is, but maybe if we it. slept, we'd be running 200 mile races. I mean, just <laughs> think. Yeah, think I'm going to go it. with that. That's definitely true. <laughs> or maybe we need to run the 200 mile race <laughs> sleep. to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they do, they do say that exercise helps with sleep. Yeah. True. <laughs> I exercise a lot. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so Darcy, you also are part of the prevention intervention team at Boulder Valley School District mm -hmm. for middle school age children. Um, can you tell us about what you do as that in that role? Sure. Yeah. So I am yeah, a prevention interventionist and essentially it's providing school-based therapy for youth in the school systems. And there are interventionists in the middle and high schools in all of Boulder Valley. And we are a confidential resource for kids who might be struggling either with behavioral issues, family issues, um, 
kind of you name it, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all of those things. Um, and, you know, we help get families connected to community resources. And so it's sort of like an all-encompassing, you know, therapist, social worker type role. Wow, that sounds it's heavy. heavy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an amazing thing that you do. We work really closely with the counseling teams within the schools. So they're oftentimes our, you know, closest allies and resources within the schools. And they're oftentimes where the referrals come from. So so you're not physically in schools. You, I am. You are. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm based in the school part time, two and a half days a week. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And is that a hard thing to leave, you know, at the front door when you, I mean, because I imagine you get pretty involved in these kids' lives and there's some, you know, sad stories. Absolutely. I mean, how do you kind of separate yourself from that? Yeah, I mean, I think self-care is is really important with this type of a, a job. And I've been in the field for a really long time. So... I think I've learned how to maintain self-care and obviously running is a huge part of that. Sure. So yeah, there are definitely days where I'm like, okay, I need to get out on the trails and clear my head. It's been a really hard day. There's been a lo- lot of hard stories. And so that's a that's a huge part of it for me is is getting outside and being being on the trails. And have you been able to keep up with these kids during COVID? I mean, is, mm-hmm. has that, I assume it's been offered. Yeah, we've. I've been offering all telehealth services. So all online services for both the students I work with in the school and then also all the private practice clients that I have. So thankfully, we've, you know, this field, we've been able to offer, continue offering online services. So it's, you know, with with the students I work with, it's a lot harder because some don't have internet access and some don't have the resources. So that's hard um, to not be able to provide the support maybe that they're they're needing right now. Yeah, I'm sure that's worrisome in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, definitely more at risk populations who um, are in oftentimes in homes where it's overcrowded yeah. and might not be the most safe environment. So absolutely, there's you know worry about about those families. Yeah. How how is that obstacle being discussed in the team or in the schools? I mean, that sounds like something that you know if the schools don't reopen, that needs to be handled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know the schools. I mean, especially in Boulder Valley, we are in a wonderful district and they are, you know, offering, still offering food. I mean, it's kind of like we have to make sure that the basics are being covered, like that they have food and security and a roof over their heads and things like that. So, um, but the schools have been still providing um, food for these families and also bringing um, the Chromebooks into the homes, things like that. Yeah. Wow, it's just so many things to think about. So many things. When I think one of the phases of going back to school in the fall is at least getting that highest at-risk kids in there so that they can get out of the home, have two meals a day guaranteed, have a little space from whatever might be happening. And then, you know, it seems like they're going to be the most, um, the first to be able to, 
I hope so. To go bring yeah. it back. Yeah, and, I um, hope so. Integrate other people. Depending yeah, on where and we then are. we have to provide transportation and right. all of those things too. Right. Oftentimes. Yeah, so yeah. there's a lot. I mean, you know, and, and mental health, I think, does oftentimes take a backseat when you're talking about, like, these basic needs aren't being met. So yes. it's like those things need to be taken care of first and foremost. And then, you know, we can <laughs> provide the other the other pieces. But how great that they have a safe space that they can go to in school. Absolutely. When they need to. Yeah, That's I mean, huge. kids just oftentimes just stream in and knock on your door and... yeah. Yeah. And probably yeah. not just the at-risk kids. I mean, I know my son, oh, yeah. Ben, has a lot of anxiety and having those counselors at school has been everything for him. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. it allows him to go every day and know that, you know, he can, he has a safe space to go to if things get overwhelming. Absolutely. You know? yeah. 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 And we're just an added resource in the school. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a, such an important thing to add in at the middle school age, I think. Um, you know, I remember there being high school counselors, but I don't I don't remember really having any place in middle school that was safe or where people were encouraged to go and talk about what's going on. And middle school is the worst Brutal. is right. the absolute worst. Time. Brutal. Yeah, it is yeah. the hardest time. It is. Yeah. And there's so much they're experiencing so many physiological changes in their body and hormones and all of those things. And then you kind of add in all of the social components yeah. of middle school and yeah it's 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 a hard time wow. yeah um, you are a hero That's oh amazing. gosh <laughs> yeah, let's just say at catholic school in the midwest we did not have any mental health counselors <laughs> they just slapped you on the wrist it with a like, ruler yeah suck yeah. it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> great thanks for sharing that with us sure thanks so much for being here darcy this has been really great appreciate you sharing so much about your balance and time management and health and thought processes and development it's been very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Keep rocking. <laughs> <laughs>